social justice and, and what consumerism is doing uh, to the broader world. But they are actually tapping into something here that is so much more than that, so much deeper. They're actually tapping into something that I believe is a spiritual issue. Consumerism is a deeply spiritual issue. In the video, they speak about market forces. They talk about the culture we live in, and it almost seems as though consumerism is like an external power, something outside of us that we have to deal with, that we have to face or contend with. But ultimately, consumerism is not a product of our society. It's not a product of our culture. Uh, It isn't something that market forces have done to us. Uh, It isn't a phenomenon just of our time. It is a universal, timeless reality. Thousands of years ago, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes was commenting on consumerism. And in chapter 2, he writes this, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold and treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a person could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Further on in the book, in chapter 5, he goes on to say, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth uh, will bring true happiness. So thousands of years ago, this was our reality. It's not new. It has always been a part of our human experience. It didn't begin with the Industrial Revolution. Uh, It didn't come with the free market or capitalism. And socialism isn't going to fix it. Consumerism is the fruit of a very deep spiritual truth that we need to understand. So the real inconvenient truth that I want to speak about tonight is that the human heart is hungry. 
The human heart is a desire factory. It can always create new hungers, new desires. It's always looking for things that we don't have yet, things that we could add into our life. And both Christian and non-Christian alike will face this reality all the way through our lives. If we don't learn this, if we don't understand this, if we don't work out how to deal with this, it will lead us down that path that was in the video of consuming more and more and more, trying to satisfy a heart that continually wants. So tonight, I want to try and help us understand this a little bit more. I want to unpack this, because I actually think this may be uh, maybe even the central theme running through Scripture. That's a big claim. So see at the end of tonight if you agree or disagree. But I believe that this, in any case, is one of the most important spiritual issues that we need to understand. The human heart wants. But you know, even that phrase is not quite enough. doesn't quite get to the bottom of what we're wrestling with there is still an even deeper truth underneath that statement. And it's probably better to say that the human heart worships. The human heart is always looking beyond itself, outside itself, to find meaning and purpose and contentment. It is always pinning its hope on something else, something other. It worships. It looks for answers, for meaning, for purpose in something else. See, we know, don't we, that we are not actually the center of the universe, right? Do we know that? You know, uh, We are not the thing that matters the most. We are not the, the biggest reality in our lives. There is more than just us. And we know that meaning and purpose don't really come from within us. And so this is what our hearts do. They, they search for answers. They search for purpose. Something outside of ourselves that they can grab hold of to find that. It's actually part of our created identity. And we can never escape this. This is who we are. Because we were created to be part of something bigger. We were created to be part of God's family. That's our identity. We were made for heaven. We were made for relationship with God. Our meaning, our purpose, our identity are found way outside of ourselves. And so we go searching for it. The problem is, and this is where consumerism comes into the picture, is that our hearts are really stupid. Our hearts don't quite always know the answer, and so they will go after just about anything. They will chase anything, desire anything to fill this hunger for more, this hunger for meaning. And we can end up worshipping a whole range of things other than our Creator. And this is really at the heart of consumerism, and it's the thing that the marketing campaigns around us are all tapping into. 
They all managed to say in some way, if you had this product, this service, this experience, if you could do this thing, then your life would be amazing. Then you would be complete. You would be happy. And this is the really, you know, they just copied this from Genesis chapter 3, right? This is, this is what Satan did in the garden, the original temptation. Satan comes to human beings and says, if you eat this fruit, you would be like God. You wouldn't need to look outside of yourself. You would have everything. You would have arrived. It's been there from the beginning. And so he did this, Satan did this to, to humanity, to Eve, in the garden. The, the Bible opens with this story, pretty much. But then we see the enemy does this to Jesus as well. Right? This is all through the biblical narrative. Um, being tempted to fill our heart with things, our identity with things other than who God says we are. So I'm not going to talk very long about this because I'm pretty sure I've said this before. Most of you will have heard me say this. But, you know, I believe there is something really powerful in, in looking at the temptation that Jesus faces because I think it taps into three things that we are all tempted uh, by, uh, things that challenge our sense of identity. Satan comes and says to Jesus, are you really who you think you are? The temptation is always about identity, all three things that the enemy brings, and we have to recognize that. Are you really who you are? Maybe you need to prove it. And so he goes on and says, show me what you can do. Prove that you're the son of God. Show me what you can do. Turn these stones into bread. And then he he says, okay, well, if you are the son of God, you know, that means you should rule. You should be over everything. You should have more power than anyone else. How about I give you the nations of the earth? Then you'll be complete. Then you'll actually be a king. And then thirdly, he comes and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple roof. Prove what people say about you. Prove that the prophecies are true, that you, you won't even strike your stone because the angels will come and look after you. They will protect you. Prove it. The enemy tries to tempt Jesus into proving his identity through what he could do, what he could have, or through what people were saying about him. Power, possessions, popularity, or if you prefer, ours, responsibility, riches, reputation. These are the big three. It isn't just money. Our hearts will try and find meaning and purpose in a whole range of things. And this is kind of the, the problem. I'm raising the, the issue that I want to open up. And before I go on and solve all your problems tonight, I want to take a moment to get you to pause and, and get you to actually think about what is, what is it that your heart desires at the moment? What have you been thinking about this week? What have you been wanting this week? 
What is it that makes you say, oh, I really want that. Life will be better if I could do or go. It would be so good if I had. Everything would be better if my friend or my boss. What is the desire that you know, your heart is trying to reach for at the moment? Take a moment to think about that. So what do we do with those desires? And we'll have many of them. Sometimes we'll have heaps of them going on all at the same time. What do we do with them? Now, the tricky bit is, is I want us to go beyond just a really simplistic faith. Um, I'm not going to come and just give you this one beautiful, simple answer like, well, just get rid of all your desires. Because I actually don't think that's... I don't, you know, that's, some people may be called to a life of living like a monk where um, you actually step away from everything that's happening in the world or everything that tempts you um, and, and, and just basically a call to live in a space of prayer all the time. But I'm going to assume that for most of us, we haven't experienced that call. And I'm also going to assume that Many of the desires that you guys just thought of, many of the things that we are looking forward to or hungry for, may even be good desires. They may be things that God has placed in our heart. So I'm not just going to say, oh, well, don't desire that desire, Jesus, because I think that's too simplistic. What I do want to say is that we need to learn how to hold them. And to open this up, I want to go back to a passage that we, we actually, I kind of threw out there a couple of weeks ago, um, a passage from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 12 to 13, where Paul says this, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me or who gives me strength. So Paul doesn't say here, okay, we're followers of Jesus, then we should always have nothing and you know we don't need to fulfill any desires. That's, that's not, I don't get that that's the picture he's trying to paint. The Christian life isn't about identifying some sweet spot on the spectrum of little or lots. That's not the answer. So I don't want to say that that's how we deal with consumerism, or that the way to tame our hearts is simply to choose to want less. Now, we may need to do that. That may be a real conversation that we need to have, but that's not the point I want to make tonight. I want to go back a few verses in this same chapter where Paul is telling us he's learned the secret of how to live, which is pretty cool. And he says this in verses 4 to 7, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. 
then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us that he has learned how to experience God's peace. Hands up if you want to be able to experience that. Some of us aren't sure. I want to be able to experience this. And Paul is saying he has learned here that peace doesn't come through our circumstances. That's the verses we read before. Peace doesn't come through our circumstances. It doesn't come through our possessions, our abilities, or through our reputation. Our heart isn't satisfied by our circumstances. It comes from living in Christ. It comes from trusting Christ. It comes through the spiritual discipline of praying about everything and trusting God with everything. So to to go back to something that Jesus said, it comes from trusting Jesus when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and he will give you everything else. He will look after the rest. That's great. But what does that actually look like? How do we actually step into that? How do we live in that? I want to share an image with you tonight um, that I think helps us to kind of get to or understand the, the life that Paul was experiencing, the way he was able to go through life being content with little or with lots. It's an image that God has been using to, to speak to me through um, a lot recently. So I was away at a residential in Melbourne. I'm doing this thing with a group called Arrow, and we go down to Melbourne and hang out for a week and have lots of lectures. But in the mornings, we kind of do like you know this kind of gathering. We sing, and someone opens up uh, some scriptures, and, and it's all lots of fun. Well, in my last residential, um, we had our morning devotions were led by the Reverend Dr. Melinda Cousins, and she is a senior lecturer at Tabor Bible College in Victoria. And her, her specialty is in biblical studies, uh, and her passion in that area is the Psalms. And so, naturally, she came and led and spoke from the Psalms. And one of the Psalms that she read from was Psalm 134, and I want to read it uh, tonight. It's a very short psalm. Um, Oh, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands towards the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Jerusalem. There are many psalms that use Um, the language or imagery of raising hands towards the altar. And Melinda uh, shared with us that uh, what this image so often meant and and where it came from and what the, the Israelites, the people with these psalms, would have known it from is actually it's an image of slavery. Um, It would make them think back to Egypt. Um, 
there's a picture, and there are, there are many pictures in, in Egyptian hieroglyphs and paintings where um, not just slaves, but lots of people, you see them standing with their hands like this. And what that's all about is it's an image saying, my hands are empty. I am ready. So the servants would come into Pharaoh's court, and they would be kneeling or they would be standing like this, saying, I don't already have a task to do. My hands are ready for whatever you need, for whatever you want to say to me, whatever you want from me, I am ready. And that's what this, this image uh, was all about. And while slavery is not something that I would want to glorify or you know, uh, make out to be this beautiful thing, the picture of Pharaoh's court um, and the picture that uh, this psalmist is tapping into is actually um, acknowledging a reality that those slaves who were in that position actually lived better than most of the rest of the people in Egypt and certainly uh, better than people uh, outside of Egypt. Um, they were well-dressed, they were well-housed, they were well-fed, uh, they were protected. And it wasn't always like that. Um, but what the psalmist taps into in this psalm, and if I can be a little bit confusing and go back to the psalm on the slide, Ash, saying, lift your hands to the sanctuary, praise the Lord, and that's a beautiful way to come to God, to be ready, to be open. Um, but then it taps into the uh, mutual relationship where he says, may the Lord who made heaven and earth, who has everything, also bless you. And it's a two-way relationship that the psalmist is tapping into. And I think this, this image is powerful to help us understand the life that Paul lived and the life that Jesus lived as well, continually coming back to God in prayer daily, saying, what's next? What's next? How often do we walk through life actually clinging to the plans and ideas that, that we have? We hold them so tightly. They become what our heart focuses on? How often do we fall into the trap of consumerism of saying, I, I'm just going to add a little bit more. I'm going to take on this extra thing. I want that, and that will be where my satisfaction comes from. And then actually what we can end up doing is when we come to God, we are already full. We're already, our hands, we're, we're clutching, we're grabbing, and we're full. And it's a posture where we come to God and we're saying, see all these things, God, I, I need you to make these things work. And yet that's not quite the picture that I think Paul comes with. It's a little bit like Mandy said a couple of weeks ago, um, that sometimes when we come to God, we're actually holding up a do not disturb sign because we've already got so much that we're focused on, so much that we are working towards, so many plans, things that we're busy with. But then this image of lift your hands to the altar, you can't hold on and carry all of this stuff and lift your hands and say, 
I'm ready because I'm not holding on. I'm free and I'm available. The question that this psalm invites us to wrestle with is are we actually free and able to lift our hands and let stuff fall out? Let stuff fall to a lower place. I want to share a little bit of a story of what this has looked like uh, for me. This image has been real for me. This isn't uh, just a theory. It's not an idea. Um, This has been a conversation that God has been having uh, with me. As part of um, our journey over the last couple of years, we ended up buying a house. And that was a very prayer-filled journey, a journey where we were seeking God and, and saying, hey, you know, we don't just want any house. We want to move into a place that you want us to be, that uh, can be used by you, for you. And, and in that process, there are a lot of dreams, a lot of ideas that uh, we believe that are God-given, God-inspired Dreams of hospitality, dreams of serving, dreams of having a place where people uh, can come and find rest and find friendship and, and a whole range of things. And, and for Lisa and I to be able to do that, but for our kids to be able to have that kind of a space as well, um, a space that we can open and offer uh, to others and a space where that God can use. But what has happened, you know... At, Long story short, we, we got moved into a house 12 months ago that we bought and, and really believed that God was a part of that journey. Uh, there were many houses that you know, we set our hopes on that we didn't get, but since moving in, we've been like, you know, God knew what he was doing, and it's been a huge praise story. But there's also uh, what has evolved, what has developed in the last 12 months, is that some of the, the things that go along with that vision... And that dream of, you know, this is something that God can use has been, here's all the things that, you know, we can do to make this house even better for God to use. Um, here's all the things that need to be fixed. Here's all the things that need to be finished. And here's all the things I want to do to it. And, and somehow, in my infinite wisdom... I'm no longer standing like this saying, God, I just want, I want you to do what you want to do and uh, what's next. I'm going, I've got, I've got to do this and I've got to do this and, I've got to, and I'm carrying a huge range of things, projects, ideas. And actually they are what I'm looking at. That's what I'm seeing. It's this story of when I get all this stuff done, when I've dealt with this, then then God's kingdom will be able to come in this place. You know, then, then God will be able to do what he wants to do. And it's ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous, right? But I'm only just starting to actually see things clearly. It's been a journey. Now, I can also say a very similar thing about my work. You know, I have uh, some, some dreams and, and vision and passion, things I'm passionate about for this congregation, for youth ministry. Um, and, you know, I believe they're God-given. I don't think they're wrong. Same as many of the things around my house, they're not wrong. Um, but what has happened is I'm trying to work these things out. I'm trying to do them. 
and I'm getting worn out. Because actually I'm living life looking at the plans, the ideas, the dreams, rather than looking at God. And it's insidious. It's really easy to do. Because these ideas, I think, are God-given. So it's very easy to say these are good. But they can still become like an idol. Does that make sense? People get what I'm saying. And so somehow I've ended up in a space where, uh, one, I'm far too busy. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And my heart is actually pretty empty. And you know, I don't think that's what Jesus has called us to. I don't think that's what he means when he says, I've come so that you have life in abundance, that it means wearing yourself out, doing all this stuff, and forgetting about him. My hands are too full. My heart is too empty. And so I've begun to, to recognize what is going on, you know, that my heart has once again steered back to trying to find life and meaning and purpose in things, rather than in God's presence. Even to the point that, that my prayer life is really me coming with stuff that, saying, God, make this happen, this needs to be done, this is part of the plan. So what God has been saying to me recently, and this, this image of raised hands is part of it, but even more recently, uh, is he's been saying, let's actually put those things down. Okay, let's just, let's just stop. You have so many things that you're holding up, so many ideas, so many pictures, so many dreams, so many projects. You can't actually even bring them to me in prayer anymore because they're, they're a distraction now. Actually, I want you to, to come to me and just open a blank page. Just come and let's just, let's just talk. Leave that stuff and let's start a fresh conversation. And the sense I have here is actually not that those things are not coming, they won't come back. It's not as though God is saying all those things are wrong. I think what he is saying is let's learn to talk again. Let's learn to meet together and I will show you when and how and what can be put back on the page. But let's, let's just clear that and start from this place. A question that um, a number, lots of people come and ask me as a, as a pastor over the years, um, and some people in this room... So I'll strategically look at the wall so no one feels like I'm looking at them. But um, people come and ask, "Is how, how do I find out what God wants for my life? What he wants to do with my life? And the question you know, comes with the idea of career and the whole kit and caboodle. Like, I need to know the right course so that I can get the right job, so I can live the right life. Uh, and it, it can be a plan of 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. People are, are wanting this sense of where am I going? And the more I actually live through life, and I'm sure someone can tell me I'm theologically wrong, but 
you know, this is my hill and I'm going to die on it tonight. The more I live life, the more I'm actually believing that God doesn't want to give us a 20-year plan that's all detailed out because he knows what our heart will do. He knows that we are prone to going, yes, I know what I need to do. I know the answer. And now I can go. I can do it. I can chase it. I've got it. And what my experience is, is often God does give me you know, a picture that's more than one day, more than two days. I get a sense of where he's leading. But the thing that I'm still learning to do is how to hold that and not just run and leave Jesus in a place where, where he's going. I, I was actually, we were going to do that together. I was, we were going to walk that path together. We were going to do it together. And you've just... Off you go, again. But he's gracious. He, he waits until I get puffed out. And then he can, he can walk up and he goes, would you like, to, shall we keep going now? Are you ready to do this with me? Does that picture make sense to anyone else here or is it just me? Yeah, all right, thank you. Thank you for some honesty. It's not just me. Well, the reason that we've changed our service around tonight. Um, so often we come in and we worship and we kind of lead up to the message, um, almost as though the sermon or the message has the answers or it has the, it's the pinnacle of the night. Um, I'm not saying that's exactly what we do or why we do it, but we wanted to be intentional tonight in starting with this, this message and opening this up and then saying... We now have a space to actually uh, come to God, not you know, with a specific agenda, but actually an opportunity to, to do this, um, to come and empty our hands a little bit, to come and just be with God. And so I'm going to invite the team, uh, the music team, to come up and lead us tonight in a time of worship. Um, so you guys can come up whenever you feel like, um, preferably soon. <laughs> on your seats, I've put a piece of um, blank paper. Uh, don't be distracted by what's on the back side of it. I'm not asking you to pledge any finances or submit internal purchase orders. I'm just trying to be environmentally conscious and reuse scrap paper. Symbolically, I want to offer you a piece of blank paper tonight and invite you to come to God and start a fresh conversation as we worship, whatever that may look like. And it's possible that you're sitting here tonight and going, you know what, um, your message tonight hasn't been a waste of time, Andrew. There's actually stuff that what you're saying is true of me as well. I'm, I'm carrying too much and I've got my hopes, my desires too wrapped up in all this existing stuff, and maybe you know there's something that you need to surrender to God. And maybe for some of you, that looks like writing that down and screwing it up in a ball and actually throwing it away, saying, I don't think God wants me to have this. Maybe that's a way you can worship tonight. But maybe you have a God-given idea and dream that 
he doesn't want you to throw away, but he wants you to just lay it down a little bit. That he wants you to recognize that the dream isn't your God. That's not what you need to worship. And maybe there's an invitation here tonight to just come back to him and let him work out some of that. Maybe it's not you that needs to make it work. Maybe there's a, a different conversation. I'm going to pray for us, and I, I just want to give this space as a time uh, to be with God and let him speak. Meet with him here tonight. Jesus, I want to thank you for the beauty we see in Paul being able to walk through life uh, through a range of circumstances and to be able to say, I have found peace. I've found a beauty, a richness, a contentment where I can truly live, where I can truly rejoice, where I can truly find joy. Regardless of where you've put me, regardless of what is going on around me. And Jesus, we know by your words that you want us to experience life in abundance. That's your dream for us. And you want to help us to step into that. So as we come tonight, God, will you help us to uh, open our hands before you, to lift our hands to the altar and say, we surrender. We actually want to lay down our idols, our dreams until you are once again sitting on the throne of our heart so that you are highest, so that it is you that we worship, you that we come to. God, will you lead us and meet with us as we come and open ourselves here?